On this episode of Rebellion, the podcast, I'm chatting with Lila Williamson. She is Metro Vancouver's very own Greta Thunberg. As a leader within the Sustainability Teams, which is a youth climate organization, Lila led a climate strike march with over 100,000 people through downtown Vancouver, effectively shutting down the city and sending the important message to our leaders that we care about the climate crisis and we're willing to come out to demand change. And we're watching. Hundreds of thousands of us can't be ignored. At only 16, Lila has proven herself to be a major player in the fight for an ecologically responsible future. She has rallied support and respect from political and community leaders of all ages. She certainly earned mine. I hope you enjoy this episode. Thanks for listening. Hey, hey Lila, how are you? Good, how are you? Good, thanks for joining me today. So. You are one incredible young lady. Thank you. Uh, I have been doing my research on you and, um, and I wanted to hear more about your work with the sustainability teams because you led a climate march with over 100,000 people. You spend an amazing amount of time um, as a high school student volunteering for the sustainability teams. Um, you do a lot of work within the community. So what was it that first got you inspired to get involved with everything? That's a good question. Um, I think it was kind of a couple of things. So when I was really young, like when I was in kind of early elementary school, I was really involved in like animal rights activism. And I always would organize like little like fundraisers and stuff for the SBCA or PETA or um, stuff like that. And the reason that I was involved in that is because I really just felt this strong emotional connection to the issue and like I just had this kind of responsibility to help these animals who had no one speaking for them and who were in danger and being abused and stuff like that. Um, and so that's what I guess kind of got me started in like taking action on an issue. Um, and then what got me involved in climate activism was actually I was definitely inspired a lot by my dad who's been involved um, in this kind of stuff for a while. And so he volunteered with this organization called Climate Reality which was founded by Al Gore, the former vice president of the United States. And so the purpose of that is basically train climate leaders from all across North America and the world to do these presentations on climate change and kind of take action in their communities. And so he came to do a presentation to my grade six class. Um, and I remember so clearly one of, I think one of the turning sort of moments for me um, was seeing this image in the slide deck that he had from Climate Reality of this monkey during uh, one of the really bad heat waves in India that was just like so thirsty and all his fur was kind of like dried out and this person was feeding him a bottle of water to drink otherwise he probably would have died um, and I remember that just stuck with me and still sticks with me today. I think that's what I talk about every time I answer this question, um, is that one image. And like, of course, also the images of the polar bears on the ice caps and all that really stuck with me. And I think it's because I felt so much passion and empathy towards animals and towards animal rights. And so to see that this was an issue that was affecting animals so much um, really, really, kind of struck me pretty deeply. Um, and I think a lot of kids are like that, like are really into like protecting animals and all that. Um, and I think now, of course, I focus a lot more almost entirely on the human aspect of climate change. Um, but I think that's sort of what first got me started. And then 
for a while I was really just like kind of doing research about it and sort of like recycling and like walking places and I knew about climate change and I knew how bad it was and it just felt like no one was talking about it like no one cared at all like not world leaders not adults in my life not other people my age and so I didn't even want to talk about it because it was just like it just seemed like this really niche like nerdy issue and I but I was like so angry felt that I was so frustrated because I was like how are people not seeing how much of a crisis we're in like we're literally in an emergency we're literally heading towards the extinction of the human race and and killing our planet and our house is on fire and we're not doing anything about it yeah exactly and everyone is just pretending that it's not happening and and just doesn't care at all and I just didn't understand that and I still don't understand that um and so I think that was really isolating for sure um and I think that is why it kind of took me a while to get into actually taking action on the climate crisis because you know for like the end of elementary school beginning of high school I did a lot of projects on climate change in school and like joined the environment club and stuff like that but it just wasn't enough and I just didn't felt like I didn't feel like I was actually doing anything but I didn't know what I as like a grade eight little 13 year old could possibly do to actually contribute anything to this cause and actually make a difference because it seemed like such a huge issue um so that's kind of why I got involved in sustainability and is it was kind of by chance I just went to this event with my dad um and then I met another one of the students who kind of started sustainability and um and organized the first climate race in Vancouver and then I got involved um in organizing one of the first climate strikes in January 2019 um and I think that was that was like the moment for me like that was when it turned from like me caring a lot about climate change and like me knowing about it to actually taking action I can expand yeah. a little on that later and so you're 16 right now right yeah yeah so you're a 16 year old and you've been a climate activist since the eighth grade um, and probably even before that, really, uh, how have you seen things changed? Because you say like, you know, a lot of people weren't talking about it even just really recently. And it's only been the past few years that it's become such an important and um, talked about issue that's in the forefront. Have you seen um, any differences in the time that you've been involved? Have you found that people are talking about it differently? Have you found that people take you more seriously? Um, and has there been a lot of pushback? Absolutely, I think I can answer to all of those. First of all, from my perspective, before the climate strike movement, I like honestly felt like climate change was not even an issue that was on anyone's minds at all. Like it was never talked about, it was, like never, not by world leaders, like I said, not by any adults that I knew, not by any young people. It was not, like, it was just not, it was a non-issue. It was just like, it didn't even exist. Um, and, you know, there was obviously still like environmentalists and stuff like that, but it was really, yeah, it was just not really a thing. Um, <laughs> and then what I noticed and what I kind of reflected on, like after the September 27th strike and after kind of like the these big, huge mobilizations all around the world for for global climate strikes that changed climate change became an issue that was at the forefront um climate change became a topic of discussion with young people it became a topic of conversation with adults and with world leaders and governments and that was something that wasn't happening i think before the climate strike movement and so i think that was the huge thing about it is like it really 
was a catalyst in terms of bringing this issue to the forefront and actually making it something that people were talking about and actually knew about and kind of realized the scale of a little bit more. Um, like it wasn't just like plastic bag pollution. It wasn't just cutting down trees. It was so much more than that. Um, and I think that was a hugely pivotal moment. I think especially after September 27th, that woke people up. Like yeah. absolutely, um, and and like and world leaders um, and leaders in Canada as well, and so I think now that we've all kind of had that realization, it's like that hasn't necessarily translated into the action we need, which is like the next step. Because it's great that everyone knows about this now. It's great that it's a pretty top of mind priority issue, but it, we can't keep like kind of greenwashing our actions and like saying that we're doing enough, but but not actually. And like saying like world leaders and politicians can't keep saying that they care about climate change and saying that they care about sustainability and stuff like that. And then not actually doing anything meaningful. Um, like it's not something that you can just kind of like talk away and like make into a smaller issue than it is because like we need complete systemic change. Like that's the only way that we're gonna solve the climate crisis. And so I think that hasn't entirely hit yet. And I think it will and that's like our next step as an environmental movement. Yeah and I think you've touched on something really important as well in that there's a lot of conversation about it but the action just isn't happening fast enough in terms of how fast the climate crisis is evolving and how serious it's getting and how short of a time frame we have. I think that a lot of people are like well, look at all these great things that we are doing. We're recycling. We have composting programs in Vancouver. We're doing our part. And I don't think that enough is being um, enough is being done to show that these things, while they are good, they're not addressing that systemic change that you talk about. Mm -hmm. It's really just making ourselves feel better about not um, banning single-use plastics, making us feel better about still having logging through our old growth forests, making us feel better about opening a pipeline um, to transport unneeded bitumen, right? Like it's, um, it's really unfortunate that we're running out of time and people are not doing enough. So if you were able to make some, you know, big changes, what kind of changes would you want to make? First of all, just stop building fossil fuel infrastructure. Just stop. Like, I do, it's it's really as simple as that. Like, you know, oh, the economy and oh, like like we can transition the jobs that are reliant on the fossil fuel industry, industry to renewable energy and we can stimulate the economy through renewable energy and through other sources. But like, just number one thing just let's just stop building pipelines I think that would be that would be great um <laughs> that's kind of the number one thing and and obviously you know there's a lot of I think like the main backlash to that is like one sort of the economy and two jobs which are obviously really related and I think there's like so many solutions that have been presented to both of those issues um so there's like no excuse at this point it is insane to me that we are still building the TMX pipeline and still building the coastal gas links pipeline, even though those are literally the exact things that are causing the climate crisis. And, you know, Justin Trudeau, Prime Minister of Canada, declared a climate emergency, calls himself a climate leader, says he cares about climate change and Indigenous sovereignty, and then this is what he does. And this is what I mean, like, politicians are so good at making it sound like they're doing the right thing and making it sound like they have everything under control, and they don't. Like, he is failing us right now um and and i think not enough people are realizing that um and so that would be the number one thing and it's just like it's just illogical at this point like it's just 
the logic just doesn't add up um, in terms of building pipelines and fossil fuel infrastructure. So I think we need to start building, start looking at building wind farms and solar panels and investing in more hydro and just transitioning away from fossil fuels as soon as possible. Um, I think that would be the, the number one thing for me. Um, and I think also it's important to look at you know, first of all, just the logistics of reducing emissions and the energy side of it and stuff like that. But then also kind of the climate justice piece is like we need to also reckon with the fact that Canada has a lot and the world just kind of has a lot of issues with systemic racism and with Indigenous sovereignty um, and with economic inequality. And so we also have to tackle those issues at the same time because they are not separated. Um, and I think that's kind of like where our vision needs to go from here is like, okay, you know, how can we build a world where one, we just stop building pipelines and we stop constructing um, new fossil fuel projects and transition to a renewable economy and a circular economy and all of that. Um, and then also how do we reduce the economic inequality and, and dismantle the systemic racism that are so present in Canada and the rest of the world? Yeah, totally. And I mean, there was just a report that came out recently um, within the past week showing with hard evidence that the amount of oil that's going to be transported through the Trans Mountain Pipeline is more than is expected that the world is going to need. So it's basically saying, um, great, you're building a pipeline, but nobody's going to want what's coming out the end of it, right? Like, you're literally building something that nobody's ever going to use. If somebody said, I'm building a hotel and I know nobody's going to be showing up because there's going to be no tourism, you would say, you're a crazy person. You need to stop building this hotel. If nobody's going to be using it, why are you building it? And it's the same logic that's not being applied to this pipeline. And so I totally agree. There is something very, very wrong with our leaders when they seem to think that building pipelines is the best way to you know, to improve our economy, to ensure that people have jobs. These are not future-proof. These are temporary band-aid solutions that are actually causing more harm long-term than, than good, right? Well, what's next for sustainability teams? Um, because COVID is happening, I guess it's been kind of hard to really organize anything. What, um, what kind of stuff are you guys working on at the moment? That's a really good question. So yeah, it was definitely a bit of an adjustment coming um, or sort of in the first parts of um, quarantine because obviously we are a protest-based movement and not being able to have any gatherings was definitely difficult. Um, so we've moved a lot of our activism online through social media and through Zoom and all of the tools that we have available to us. Um, and then we were lucky to be able to got really involved in the provincial election and so endorsed quite a few candidates um, in the election and contributed to their campaigns and stuff like that, um, which was really cool because I think I do personally um, think that the next step for the youth climate movement is getting youth to run for office. I think that's where we need to go after this because the thing is we, you know, are, I mean, don't, don't get me wrong, like grassroots activism and, and protests and everything are like 100% the best ever. Um, but I think also we, it needs to be a two-pronged approach. Like we need that people power. We need that mobilization. We need people getting out in the streets to push government to take action. Like we can't make any change without that. Absolutely. But I think we also need to start 
actually becoming the people who are in power and just taking that power away from these old white guys who are going to be dead by the time the consequences of the climate crisis actually hit. Like, it's just the reality. Um, and so for me personally, I want to run for office as soon as I turn 18. And I think a lot of youth in the climate movement feel the same way. And so I think what we need to do is take this momentum, take this energy and say, let's actually, instead of lobbying useless MPs who are never going to listen to us, why don't we just become those MPs, you know, instead of having meetings with MLAs who just ignore us and just tell us, oh, you know, our activism is amazing and you're so inspiring and then go and support like whatever, I don't know, CGL or something like that. Um, let's just become those MLAs. Let's just take that power away from them. And I think because of the momentum that we've built around the climate crisis and also because high school students are amazing organizers, I think as we've seen. And so, um, you know, in a SNAP election, we were able to organize a bunch of high school students to volunteer on campaigns. And so I think that's absolutely a next step for us. Um, is, is really turning that mobilization, bringing people out into the streets, but also bringing them to the phone banks and to canvassing and to getting people elected that are gonna fight for change. Um, because I think with those two things, with the people power and political power, we can 110% win this. Definitely. Yeah, I think so too. I think that um, because today's youth, like your generation, I'm a millennial, so your generation is, so connected and you have so much more access to information than all of the generations that came before you and you guys are awesome at um at harnessing the power of social media to organize and so you have so much influence at the moment because like especially when you're a teen your lives are so connected to each other but one of the things that's been difficult um, throughout the political process has been getting more teens um, involved, getting more young adults involved, getting people who are basically under 35 to vote, to care, to listen, to get educated. How do we how do we bridge that gap? Because you guys are really, really capable of doing a lot of amazing things, you know, as you clearly show. Um, but for some reason, it's not translating over to the political process. So how do we fix that? I think my immediate answer to that would be youth are the best at mobilizing youth. And so I think that's especially why youth organizations and the youth climate movement needs to turn some of our attention towards political organizing, because I think we definitely have more of a capacity than adults to mobilize people our age. I think it is difficult definitely um, to get youth involved when it's sort of coming from adults and from older generations. But I think the thing with youth working together is we like inspire each other and kind of feed off each other's energy and like get motivated and, and stuff like that. And so I think having youth organizations like sustainability teens focusing more of our energy on political, on campaigning um, and the political process would absolutely make a huge difference. Um, and, and I think the other thing is just really making that connection clear. Well, I think, okay, two things. One, making the connection clear between the fact that if we elect really good people, even if we only elect a few, that is going to make such a huge impact in terms of our fight for our future and our fight against the climate crisis. Um, but I think also it's just 
kind of point together we can make an impact like it's not a lost cause it's not impossible for really radical really cool really amazing candidates to get elected if we build enough people power around them um and so i think obviously sonia is an amazing example of that on vancouver islands um and adam olson as well um and there's obviously some great examples nationally too of really incredible candidates who have built a ton of power around their campaigns and and made it a reality. Um, so I think it's like building up that confidence and like, yes, we can win this if you get involved kind of thing. Um, and then also just having youth mobilizing other youth. Yeah, yeah, that makes total sense because you're right. It's like, even, so I'm 36 and even as a 36 year old, I sometimes forget how old I actually am uh, because I don't feel that old. But when I remember to like what I thought a 36 year old was when I was 16, it is not who I am today. I thought that like a 36 year old was super old, super out of touch, like, oh my God, you're in your thirties. But, um, but I think that because we don't recognize that so much, because we kind of forget that we're, we really are a separate generation from you guys. I think that we take uh, for granted the fact that we don't really reach out to our youth enough we don't let you guys take enough leadership we don't we need to make more of an effort to show you that yes we are just stodgy adults but we do care what you think we do need your voices we do need your power so yeah you're right sustainability is one of those is one of those organizations that i think is really really important in building more youth in politics and that being said the one of the issues that you really work towards is lowering the voting age. Tell me about your work with that. Yeah, so this is actually something I've become involved in a little bit more recently. Um, I've obviously it's something I've always supported and I would absolutely love to be able to vote. I would give anything to be able to vote right now. Um, and I think a lot of people in my generation and my age would feel the same way who are under 18. Um, but when I really started getting more involved in this fight to lower the voting age was during this provincial election. Um, so I was obviously involved in my dad's election campaign here in Burnaby um, and with the BC Green Party, who is a huge advocate for lowering the voting age. Um, and I've also been in contact with organizers from Dogwood and know a lot of you who are involved in their Vote 16 campaign, which has been going for a while now, um, pushing to the voting age in BC. And I think the thing is that through the climate strike movement and through the youth activism that we've seen in the past couple of years, I think young people have shown that they are absolutely rational enough and logical enough to make a decision about who they're going to vote for. Um, now, I know the argument often for not lowering the voting age is like, oh, 16 year olds, like they don't care. They don't know anything about the world. Like they don't pay taxes, whatever. Um, I think the thing is that the people who are elected today and the decisions they make are going to affect us and our future so much more than anyone who is able to vote. Um, and so I think the fact that we are not able to vote and not able to share a voice on that is kind of crazy because I think what people don't realize is like we are going to be impacted by the decisions made today. Like 
obviously we all are in the present, but long-term the decisions that are made and decisions that are not made are gonna affect us so much more. Um, and that's why it's so frustrating that we don't have the power to vote because we can do all this organizing, of course, but just giving us that vote and giving us a chance to share our voice would have so much of an impact. And I think the results of this election would have been very, very different if that were the case. Um, and I, yeah, I just think it's really, really important also just what we've seen and what research has shown is that youth are much more likely to vote later in their life if they start to build those habits young. And so I think one will build future voters who are going to vote later in while they're still young and then also when they get older. And then youth will also be able to share their voice about politics. Um, and I think that would just be such a concrete way to create change. Um, yeah. I think, um, I think it's really interesting because you you have a lot of very politically driven teens around you. Um, how has the reaction been towards you from teens who aren't that politically motivated? Do you, how do they normally react to the work that you do? And um, is it, are they very accepting of it? Do they understand it? Like for the people your age who are sort of the polar opposite of you, how do we reach out to them? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. So I'll start with kind of saying, I think before climate strikes got really big, like sort of before the 27th and some of the bigger strikes that we had, um, and when the climate strike even kind of took off around the world, I like no, not a lot of people really knew that I was that involved in climate activism. I didn't really tell a lot of people. And I think, I don't know if I was necessarily embarrassed about it. I don't think that was the reason. I think it was just kind of this sort of niche thing um, that was just sort of, yeah, it was just like kind of weird to be doing. Um, sort of like, I don't, it sounds crazy now. And like, I don't, it's just crazy. That was like a couple of years ago. Um, but like I said, I think what was really hard about getting involved in it in the first place is like no one my age cared about climate change or knew about climate change or wanted to do anything about climate change at all. Um, and I think that's why at first I didn't really tell anyone what I was doing. Um, but then I think once, I think September 27th especially made it a mainstream thing and made it like, I saw so many people who I didn't even know from my school at the September 27th strike. And I was like, oh my God, like, did they know I, like, I co-organized this? Like, well, it was crazy. And, and the same thing happened at some of our bigger strikes sort of in the spring as well. Um, and so after that, I'm, I think a lot of people know that I'm involved, pretty involved in climate activism and stuff now. Also, obviously there's a lot of like media coverage and stuff from that day and everything. Um, but I think that was really a turning point when like, I think it was like climate striking became mainstream with youth and then climate change became a mainstream issue at the same time. So now I don't think, I think there were there are some people are kind of jokingly like oh my god you know that's so stupid but, but like you know whatever um but i don't think anyone's like that's really stupid or that's like you know like i think most people are either supportive of it or like kind of understanding or um or whatever which is a really interesting shift um and i think it definitely shows why youth are like just the future because um yeah i don't i definitely haven't encountered a lot of young people who are like are you doing that? That's so crazy. Like you shouldn't be doing climate activism. So yeah. Yeah. It's weird, isn't it? How like the people who are anti-climate activism tend to be like in their thirties and older for whatever reason, it's like, there's this really deep seated denialism for, for whatever reason. Um, but tell me more about 
the the march that you organized because it really was a huge event. Um, you closed the entire city of Vancouver down. It's incredible. Tell me about your experiences. Tell me what it was like. Give me the give me the whole rundown. Yeah, that's definitely a long story. Um, so <laughs> it's what's interesting is that September 27th was the strike we had the most planning for out of all of them. So the trend was usually that we would plan a strike like two weeks in advance most of the time, um, sometimes a week, we were really running short on time. Um, so we had strikes in like January, March, um, and May, I believe were like the notable ones before September 27th um, of 2019. And so those ones were mostly planned like two weeks or something in advance, a lot of Zoom calls um, and like kind of texting in our, we used to have an Instagram group chat. Um, <laughs> and then by the time we were organizing for September 27th, I think one, the thing about the 27th was because it was this huge global climate strike day, um, groups across Canada and around the world were planning for it. And so there was kind of a little bit of like, oh, this is going to be kind of big, but no one, like not a single person could have predicted how big it would have been. Um, like I thought it was, our strikes before September 27th had like 3,000 people maximum. And I was like, okay, you know, maybe we'll get like 10,000. That'll be like amazing. That'll be like I won't even know what to do with myself. We get 10,000 people, like, that'll be crazy. Um, I think our biggest hope was probably like 20,000. We would be like, oh my God. Um, <laughs> so yeah. Um, little did you know. <laughs> little did we know, exactly. That's kind of how it started. Um, and that was really our belief up until like, literally the day of when we like saw the reports, we were like, oh, you know, like kind of 20, 30,000 max. Um, so yeah, anyway, um, but we basically planned it the entire summer um, before September. And so like three months or something, which was the most planning we'd ever had for a strike. And I think what made this one different was partly partly that kind of global momentum. Um, partly we just did a crazy amount of advertising. So like every single event we spoke at, everything we did, we were promoing September 27th. Um, we put up posters and did chalking like all around the city. We got people to put up posters in their schools. We reached out to businesses and got like 200 businesses to close. Um, it was just like, and we just spread the word so, so, so far. Um, and I think that was part of it as well. And we're like, everyone was posting on their social media and like stuff like that. Um, but I think what was interesting about it is like, I really, I don't think anyone had any idea like how big it had gotten and like how far the word had spread until it was the actual day of. Um, like we had no idea at all. So on the day of the 27th, I had to go to school in the morning to write a test. And then I had this like C person from CBC who was gonna be like following me for the entire day and then like writing this article about it. Then she met me at my school and then we transited downtown and got there like early and there were already a bunch of people there. Um, and our venue wasn't the greatest, um, Vancouver City Hall, because there are like a bunch of trees right in front of it. So we couldn't really see how many people there actually were because we could only see like just a little bit like kind of in the trees and stuff. So we knew there were a lot of people, but we had like no idea how many. Um, so I was supposed to be, or I was one of the MCs for the day. Um, so kind of like kicked off the event and I thought, I was like, oh yeah, you know, there's like a few thousand people here. Like this is pretty good. Um, and then I was just sort of like running the show and we were having some speakers and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden, people were like oh my god the march is leaving like the like they're already across the bridge and I was like <laughs> we were like what and that's when we sort of like like people were like running around and stuff and there was like 
like you couldn't even see where the people ended like it was insane um so the other person who was emceeing with me Harrison was basically like Lila I'm gonna go run across the bridge and try and try and meet the other side of the march you can you just like keep things going here like just just keep and I was like okay so I was I just like kept on emceeing I was like trying to entertain people and get them to stay because we were like don't leave like we like because we were supposed to lead the whole march across the bridge and had like a whole plan and everything um and people just like the march just took off on its own they were just so like they couldn't even see city hall um where they were um so yeah so and then I ended up getting in like this random car and like driving across the bridge to the other side and then like emceeing downtown it was just like crazy it was so insane um but it was very very cool and what I learned afterwards was that the sky train station got shut down because there or the candleline station or whatever was actually shut like you couldn't even get off there because there were so many people the sky trains were packed buses were packed like all of the streets kind of like leading up to city hall like no one I think like maybe a few thousand people were able to hear what was happening at city hall but everyone else like had no idea and then there was the march across the bridge obviously we, we were planning to take half of the bridge and just took the whole thing um and more it was, just, it was very insane but it was a, like one of the best days of my life I think for sure um so yeah and then I remember like I think the biggest thing I remember from the 27th is afterwards we were all like all the organizers um were kind of just like hanging out and just like kind of in shock um and then we were watching this time lapse from a helicopter like drone or something like that and it was like a minute long time lapse or something of people flowing across the bridge and it just kept going and going and, and it was like super fast like everyone was moving so but they just kept going and I was like oh my god it was yeah it was it was very insane but the crazy thing is like that morning I we were expecting like like I said 20 or 30,000 and max, that was like yeah. our biggest goal like max yeah that was that would have been like amazing and then we got like 200,000 so it was yeah and it was I mean it was a huge day all around the world too like there were unprecedented mobilizations everywhere in Canada and all across the world so yeah I think that was a moment where like the world shifted I think yeah I think so too I think a lot of people finally kind of accepted it as this mainstream issue as not just this niche thing that some you know tree huggers off in the woods are talking about it really became like a mainstream forefront issue and yeah for sure having that many people show up to an event I think solidified for the general public and for our politicians that people really do care people really do want to see change I don't think that it's it's possible now after seeing that many people come out um, to deny you can't you can no longer deny that it's something that people care about we saw, we actually saw with our eyes how many people are willing to stand up and, and fight for change. Did you, um, have you like met any people who've helped you along? Have you made like a lot of contacts? How, how has that arena of things been for you? Because you are seven, 16. So I'm sure that a lot of people look at you and think you're just a kid when in reality you're a pretty awesome, like you're more awesome than a lot of adults I know. So how has like networking and getting to know people, how has it been? How have their reactions been to you? It's a good question. I mean, I think 
especially in sort of like Vancouver um, and the Lower Mainland and everything, it's been overall very positive. Like a lot of people are like, oh my gosh, you like youth are so amazing, like so inspiring, whatever. Um, there's definitely been people who haven't been like that. Um, like I remember I was at this random gala one time doing this speech um, and there was this, I think like a city councilor or something from like White Rock or something. I can't totally remember, but he was like just being super, you know, like old white guy-ish and like, oh my God, like you don't know what you're talking about and everything. Um, but that's fairly rare, luckily. Um, I think it's definitely one of the coolest things about activism where I mean there's so many cool things but one of the very cool things is the amount of people you meet um because I think definitely if I was not involved in activism I would not know nearly as many people as I do like I've been able to meet so many cool I mean like you like so many cool people um <laughs> and um I know like there's especially a lot of very just cool like city councillors um and like MLAs, MPs, whatever, um, or like people who run organizations and stuff like that. There's just a lot of very, very cool people in the climate movement um, who, yeah, who are just extremely supportive. Um, and especially I think in Vancouver, like I said, we've been really lucky with the support from adults and especially like adult organizations um, and stuff like that. So yeah, I think overall really lucky. I know that not all youth involved in climate activism have had that same kind of positive response. So I think I've been really, really lucky. Um, and that's, I think, especially just on the West Coast and stuff, that's a lot more the mentality. Um, but yeah, I think that's definitely one of the coolest things is like the amount of people I just know now and like I'm able to kind of work with and collaborate with. And um, yeah, it's really cool. That's really cool. So what happens when you age out of sustainability teams? What happens when you're not a teen anymore? That I'm going to be like an MLA or a city councilor or MP or something. So <laughs> is the plan. Um, yeah, I'm definitely, I, I sort of have like a two, kind of like two pathways after high school, um, depending on like when the next election happens after I turn 18. Um, so it's, I definitely want to go to university um, and I want to study engineering. Um, and yeah, I definitely want to do that. And so, but I also will probably end up taking a semester off at some point to run um, slash like run straight out of high school. I don't know, it's it's a little up in the air right now. Um, but yeah, and then I want to be a lawyer, I think long-term as like a career. Um, so, so you want to be an engineer and a lawyer. Yeah, that's fine. Okay, so you're just taking over the world, no big deal. Because <laughs> I really love science, but I don't, I don't know if I want to go into science as like a career. Anyway, this is my plan right now. It's very subject to change. Um, but yeah, I'm also, I do debate and stuff like that. And I really, I think that would be like something I'm really interested in. Um, and I think we would be really, really lucky to have you in office. I think we'd be really lucky to have you as a leader with even more influence than you have now. Um, have you guys, thought about how you're going to move forwards as the sustainability teams. Um, like, what does the future look like in terms of the organization? Because like you say, being a protest-based organization and, and only being able to meet up online and not having that really visible piece um, of the protest, how do you think the sustainability teams will change over the next couple of years? That's a really good question. And I think 
there's there's kind of two parts to that. Um, I think first of all, during quarantine and lockdown, and now as well, we've been focusing a lot on intake and on building our active support. Um, and to kind of break that down a little bit more, there's really a difference between like passive supporters and active supporters. Um, so what research has shown is that if movements have 3.5% of the population actively engaged and involved, they can't fail basically in achieving their goals. And so we brought more than 3.5% of Vancouver's population into the streets on September 27th. But the thing is that all of those people didn't stay actively involved afterwards. Um, and so I think that's what we, that's what the climate movement as a whole needs is like everyone needs to become actively involved, not just like, oh, you know, yeah, I really support what you guys are doing. Oh, like I'll sign a petition once in a while, whatever. Like everyone needs to get actively involved in organizing. Um, and I think, yes, it's challenging and yes, it's difficult. And yes, you have to make time for it. Um, but it's just what, like, it, we don't have a choice at this point. Like we are already out of time. If we want to have any chance in having a safe future for my generation and the generations that come after us, it's just what we need to do. It's just our responsibility. Um, and yeah, we just need everyone to step up. Um, and so I think what we've been focusing on is mobilizing young people because that's where our strengths are. And so getting as many high school students as possible actively organizing with us. So we're setting up clubs in every high school in Metro Vancouver. We have four different regional groups now in all the different regions of Metro Vancouver. Um, so like North Shore, Surrey, uh, Vancouver and Burnaby in the Tri-Cities uh, to intake more people and we now have around 300 high school students who are like in sustainability teens um, and want to just keep growing that number as much as possible and so I think that's one of the best things we can do right now is build a huge base of people who are willing to actively support the movement and then as soon as we have a vaccine and we can flood the streets again we flood the streets and we're even bigger than we were before um, but then I think also there's the political side of it, which can be done without massive uh, protests. Um, and so I think that's where we are really going to start focusing on like, okay, how can we be pushing for kind of more strategic really bold, progressive, radical policies within either municipal governments or the provincial government or the federal government. Um, so we can really use this moment of COVID-19 um, and move our society forward and tackle the climate crisis and achieve climate justice as part of our recovery to the pandemic. Um, and, and so, yeah, those are kind of the two things I think we're mainly focusing on going forward, but we're in kind of like a strategic phase right now because in the come down of the election, um, we've been doing kind of some reflection and stuff like that. Um, and so now kind of we're in that process of like figuring out our next steps. Um, but I think it'll look something like that combination of building active support and targeting, like targeting our energy into politics and passing policies and campaigning. So how do people like me, um, help you? Like, what type of efforts would you want to see from um, those who aren't directly part of your organization, but support your movement? That's a really good question. Um, so I think there's a few things. First of all, I think just like supporting our actions. So like following us on social media and obviously coming out to strikes and events and protests when we have them, um, like doing the actions that we post on our Instagram and social media as part of the campaigns we do and stuff like that. Um, but I think also, I mean, I think you are doing like 
the best thing in terms of like being involved politically and like running for office and like that is like incredible um so I wish like everyone was more like you um but I think and obviously that's not for everyone um so I think just like finding your place to get involved is important and like however you can actively contribute um so for some people that's like um getting involved in community organizations um like there's you know like force of nature and dogwood and greenpeace and i mean there's so many different organizations to get involved with and um and volunteer with um and then that can look like getting more politically involved so if that means like getting involved with the green party or the and like whatever um or getting involved in a municipal political party um and and stuff like that um or maybe that means just like on your own kind of like getting together a group of your neighbors and like pushing for a policy to be passed at your city council um or i know there's these amazing um this amazing group here in Vancouver called babies for climate action which is like parents um and their babies who do various sorts of like lobbying and showing up to events and organizing actions and they have a group in new west and one of vancouver so like that's a great example um and there's also like for our kids which is an organization of parents supporting student strikers so i think there are so many ways to get involved and just like pick a like pick where kind of like pick your poison like pick where you want to get involved in the movement and actively contribute to it and like commit to that um and so i think obviously for you it's the political side of it and it's the bc green party and it's running for office um and that's like incredible um but I think for other people, it's like finding that niche and like where you fit in and can support. Mm -hmm. do, um, do you think that you'll start another organization once you're um, done with sustainability teams or do you think you'll join an already existing organization? That's I have not thought about that. That's a really good question. Um, I, think, I think the thing is there are like, a lot of organizations out there um and i don't i don't necessarily know if what we need is like more kind of like structured organizations um i think what i want to do kind of like in my career is sort of like get into the sectors of like society that have power so whether that's like going into like engineering or like law or whatever like all the things i'm kind of thinking about um and then like Kind of changing a little bit from the inside um because i think like and like I, I think while simultaneously doing like continuing to do activism and stuff like that but i don't know if i see myself starting like an uh, environmental ngo or something like that um i just think there's like kind of a lot of those in existence um and i think we also need people to sort of devote themselves to like changing the system from the inside a little bit as well um and then yeah, but that's actually a really, that is a really, really good question. I don't know, like, I could definitely start an organization of, like, I don't know, like, people who want to be really cool politicians or something like that. Like, I know there's this group in um, BC called, um, it's like a bunch of city councillors from all, um, from all across BC who, oh, the name is just slipping my mind but basically a lot of really amazing city councillors who want to like fight for climate justice from all across bc um and who like come to it's climate caucus that's what it is um and and come together and like have these meetings and do actions and stuff so i could see myself absolutely like being part of something like that but yeah i'm really excited to see what you decide to do next i think it's gonna be um i think it's gonna be a success whatever it is you choose to do um you have achieved so much in such a short lifespan that um, 
that I think we are yet to expect even greater things from you. Thank you. <laughs> so how is it how is it possible for you to live like a normal teenage life and also be saving the world? Like what else what else do you have time to do? Um yeah, it's a little interesting sometimes. I'm definitely notorious for never hanging out with my friends and like always being the person who's like, sorry, I'm busy today, I have a meeting, or like oh, that's literally like <laughs> my catchphrase is just like my friends like have stopped even asking me to hang out most of the time. We say, like, yeah, Lila definitely has a meeting or like something else. Um, so yeah, I definitely don't see my friends that often, <laughs> like outside of school. Um and yeah, I just I definitely like have to be pretty effective with my time management, which I know like every high school student does. Um, so I feel like I'm not like insanely busy, right? Like, and I just like being busy. Like I kind of just thrive when I'm as busy as possible. Um, so it works for me, but yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely a lot sometimes, but the thing is like, I think activism just gives me so much energy that it kind of balances out because like I get all this energy from like doing activism, so even though it can be draining sometimes, but like, um, I just really feel like I'm kind of doing something with my life, which is like I and I feel like I'm just like contributing to this thing that I really want to contribute to um in a and, really meaningful way yeah and just like kind of doing what I think like I just don't know what I think I would just feel kind of lost and just kind of like powerless if I wasn't doing activism like the activism that I do and I think the reason that I got involved is I was just like I cannot go on living my normal life without doing something about this crisis that's facing us and so it makes it so much easier to deal with like eco-anxiety and like the fact that we are in a climate crisis like it makes it so much easier because I know that I am in like my own way like doing something to contribute to stopping it um and so yeah that kind of like makes it all all, yeah I don't know and I just like love always being on meetings and like <laughs> always like doing work and so I don't know because it just it really gives me a lot of energy so yeah that's really amazing because I think a lot of teenagers would feel opposite to you I think a lot of teenagers would feel like they were giving a lot up by constantly being busy by not being able to hang out with their friends so it's really impressive that you have the that you have the maturity to see the, the joy and the contribution that your efforts make. I don't know if I would have had the same commitment that you have at 16. When I think about my 16 year old self, I don't think I was anything like you at all. <laughs> I mean, it's okay. We say this thing in like the sort of youth climate movement and stuff like that, that it's like <laughs> um, you sort of just become the movement and like it kind of just sucks you in. And then it's just like your entire life is just devoted to like the movement. And that's definitely how I feel. But it's, you know, it is worth it. It is, it's really fun um, most of the time. <laughs> Um, and yeah, I've also like, like I said, I've met a lot of people, both adults and also other youth through activism. Um, so I've made like so many friends through organizing that I never would have had before. Um, yeah. And I've gotten to have like so many cool experiences that I'm so grateful for. Um, so yeah, it's definitely like a lot of work, but it's also, and I think I, what I've been thinking about lately is like, I've been really lucky to see a lot of the direct benefits of the organizing I've been doing. Um, and I mean, not entirely, but I think especially in terms of like the 27th, like we really saw the outcome of the effort we put into organizing that. Whereas I think for a lot of, especially adults who have been organizing for a long time, they haven't been able to see as much like the direct benefits and the direct outcome of that, um, or as in a big 
like in as big of a way as they wanted to. And so I think I'm really grateful for that too, because it's definitely difficult to like keep on going and not know whether this thing that you're putting so much energy into is actually having an impact mm -hmm. at all, um, which is like, I think the really difficult thing about activism for sure. So what other notable memories do you have from all of the work that you've been doing? I mean, so many, I mean, like all the late night meetings and like we used to, so, okay, it's definitely weird on Zoom um, because like now it's like the late night Zoom meetings and like all that and like spending eight hours a day on Zoom, which I was doing like most days during quarantine and everything. Um, <laughs> but like before we used to have our meetings in the Greenpeace office in Vancouver. Um, and that was always really fun because I would spend like basically my entire weekend just like at the Greenpeace office doing meetings and like doing organizing stuff. Is it still um, off Commercial Drive? Yeah, it is. It's the commercial one. Yeah. Um, so I would basically live there, like, and then we would go there for meetings during the weekend, whatever. But um, I think one of the funnest things is, like, I, I don't know, I'm a friend of the person who just, like, doesn't like to be home. Like, I just, if I'm just sitting at home, like, I'm not happy, which is, like, why this is really hard for me. Um, like, COVID and everything. But I remember, like, the best days would be when I would go to school in the morning um, and then like do my whole day of school and then afterwards I'd have to go to some like random meeting or whatever downtown or like we did a presentation like this school board one time or whatever like it's one of the things I remember um, and I'd always have to like transit all the way into Vancouver because I live in Burnaby and Burnaby feels like a million years away from Vancouver even though it's like it's really not but it just feels that way um, and then like after that I always get home late so I have to like take the 99 and the sky train and whatever but it was just like it was just so cool I was like I can't believe I'm doing this like it's so cool um and yeah definitely like all the bonding experiences with like other like people that I organize with have been a lot of fun yeah like-minded people that you otherwise wouldn't be able to get to know that well mm -hmm. totally how did your parents feel about you doing all of this like did they ever think like okay Lila you've got to focus on school like have they ever have they ever like been not supportive or have they always just really pushed you to to chase down all your dreams? I think I've been very, very lucky and that my parents have always been really supportive, but I know that is not the case for especially like a lot of people in sustainable teens. Like I know that's not true for them. Um, and that's like, I can't really imagine that. Like I, I can't imagine how hard it would be to like not have my parents for me um, in doing this. I think I've been really lucky in that regard. And it's definitely hard to balance because I know that obviously school is really important and that's something that has always been a top priority for me um, and like getting into university and keeping my grades up and stuff like that. And it's something I really enjoy as well. So I really have tried hard to make sure that I don't fall behind in school or like let my grades slip um, because I know that that's just like not who I am like I just mm -hmm. that's really something that's important to me um but it's definitely been difficult at times to balance those two and there's like last year I had to miss um and like the year before I had to miss a lot of school for like either going to events or like going to strikes or actions or whatever um and it was definitely it's definitely challenging sometimes um what did your school think about that like did I guess you would have had to explain to like your teachers yeah. your principal how did that go over <laughs> Actually, okay, same thing. Like most of my teachers were pretty supportive of it um, and like pretty supportive of my activism and stuff like that, which was also really lucky because same thing. Like I know a lot of students whose teachers were not supportive or whose like schools were not supportive or whatever. Um, and I know like my, I mean, schools are not the best. Like I know my school has even been pretty bad about like us promoting the strikes and stuff like that and like not being in favor of it. But I know like a lot of people in sustainability teams have struggled with 
their schools being really, really unsupportive um, and like really bad about that. So I think overall, I've been extremely lucky in the amount of support that I've had. Um, and I think like one thing that I've just always, I always like try and keep my mind is just like how privileged I am and like how much I have. And like, that's also kind of why I do what I do too, because I think like if I wasn't trying to like spend as much of my time as I can, like contributing to a bigger cause, then I feel like I would just be wasting that. Yeah. So you are just a really high achiever. I think, I think we can just conclude that you are like, you are constantly in fifth year. You are like a force to be reckoned with. It's, you're a very rare, a very rare person. You're going to go very far in life. I'm really looking forward to following you through your career. Yeah, I'm definitely always like the one person in class. Everyone's like, oh my God, yeah, of course, Lila, like always the, the truck. Okay, do you sit in the in the front of the class or are you a backseat class? Um, I'm definitely a front of the class person. I think you'd probably gather that. Um <laughs> like front or middle of the class. Yeah, yeah. I'm always that person, but it's okay. I was always like the, the teacher. Front seater class. too. It's okay. I'm a front and center girl myself. I totally get that vibe from you. I feel like, yeah, I feel like we're very similar in that, like, that way. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> oh, Lila, you are so wonderful. I hope that, um, I hope that we will get to talk to you again because mm. I think you are just such an, a huge inspiration for so many people. I mean, Thank not you. just for other teens, but, you know, for people like me who, need to see that our gen our next generations really care and that you guys want to make the difference and it makes it so much easier for us to connect with you in a more meaningful way um because it's like you know you've left the door open for the communication we're leaving the door open for the communication and there doesn't have to be this divide mm -hmm. between young people and older people and i think because of that you've opened so many people's minds and changed a lot of people's minds like before the election I had never considered um how lowering the voting age would affect um like I just I've never considered lowering voting age and it wasn't until it, the issue was brought to me by the sustainability teams that I started looking into it and when I did look into it, I was like, wow, this all makes a lot of sense, but nobody had ever really explained it to me in a way that um, that made sense. And so it's just things like that, like in the work that young people are doing, that really helps to make such a big, meaningful change. Because like you say, sy systemically, it's really difficult to make change when everybody is so set in their ways, when people have been off in office for a long time, when the rules that we're operating under were written, you know, 50 or 100 years ago, um, it really takes inspiring people like you to be able to get those messages across. Um, and so I really hope that you continue to do this type of work because it's so, so important. I definitely will. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> All right, Lila, thank you so much. I've taken up enough thank of your you. time today. That's I hope that so you fun. don't have to run over to another meeting. I, I have me at 4 30 so I got like 15 minutes <laughs> thank you this was, this felt like it went by so fast that was crazy I can't believe it's already 4 15 so I know it thank happens you. really really quick so that's why I think that we're gonna have to do another one in the future absolutely 100 <laughs> percent
Thank you so much. Thank you. So inspiring to me as well. So please run again and stay like involved. And yeah, let's definitely talk soon. Yes, definitely. We are gonna we are gonna collaborate on your upcoming campaign. Don't you worry. (laughs) All right, bye. All right, Lila. See ya. You. Thanks for listening to Rebellion, the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, follow, and share wherever you're listening. I'd love to have your feedback, comments, and suggestions. Contact me, Noreen Shim, over social media or visit the podcast's Facebook page. Thanks for joining the Rebellion.